This is the seventh Sunday of Easter. It's also known as the Sunday after Ascension Day. And so in my sermon, I'm going to say some things briefly about Ascension, the Ascension and what it means, and then to once again preach on all three readings from Acts, from the Revelation of St. John the Divine, and from the Gospel according to St. John. We're preparing this Sunday for the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. And so these readings are about how we might understand the Holy Spirit or certainly how the early New Testament church understood the Holy Spirit and its meaning and how by extension we have, one hopes, learned something from that. When I was just about ready to go off to seminary and was at the height of my Anglo-Catholic fervor, I remember being extremely shocked at hearing that at Epiphany Church San Carlos, someone had called and asked what time is the Ascension Day liturgy, and the parish secretary said, we don't have the Ascension Day in the Episcopal Church. That's just the kind of thing that gets you kind of revved up, you know what I mean? (laughs) We do have the Ascension Day in the Episcopal Church. The purpose of this day is, is, is theological more than historical. And I'm not going to make a claim for the non-historical nature of ascension by any means, but to merely say that it is one of those uh, readings which is about what my teacher O.C. Edwards taught us, and that is it's not as important what the Bible says as what the Bible means. So when we want to think about, well, what, is this, why, what does this mean when we read this and how do we understand it? Father Thomas Keating said that Jesus ascended not into some geographical location, but into the heart of all creation. In particular, he has penetrated the very depth of our being. Our separate self-sense has melted into his divine person, and now we can act under the direct influence of his spirit. And now we can act under the direct influence of of his spirit. He would go on further, Father Thomas Keating, to say that the ascension of Jesus is the divinization of our humanity. In the Eastern Orthodox Church, there is a term that is used, it's a Greek word, uh, that is, in the Eastern Church's view, maybe the goal of the, the Christian life, and it's called theosis. Theosis is also called divinization in uh, English. But what it means is that as we begin to mature spiritually, emotionally, and mentally, we become less unlike God. So it gives support to Father Keating's comment in his book, The Mystery of Christ, that we are not God, but our true self is God. And so the goal of the Christian life is to begin to understand something about unity and oneness. And we will see that very clearly in the reading that we heard from John's Gospel this morning. We are not God, but our true self is God. And so the Christian faith and life, if we understand the meaning of the ascension, has something to do with the alignment of our purposes with God's purposes. In the book of Acts today, 
uh, part of this. We've had it last week and the week before. We've had sort of a day in the life of the Apostle Paul to the Gentiles. So we had the conversion of Lydia last week, and we have Paul's confrontation with the slave girl, Paul's uh, encounter with Roman hostility and his beating at the hands of the Roman authorities, and finally, the conversion of the jailer and Paul's uh, escape from the jail. You know, it's very important to remember, by the way, that Paul was a Roman citizen. And so that vested him with some, um, some perks. Uh, the, the least felicitous is that it changed the mo- his mode of execution, which was not crucifixion but beheading, which was what a Roman citizen was entitled to uh, if, you had, if you got to that, that place. But I'm most interested in the story of the slave girl because we see something here in the book of Acts which, oddly enough, is not dissimilar from what we read continuously in Mark's gospel. And in Mark's gospel, we have Jesus saying and doing all kinds of things. And all of the eyewitnesses, the apostles, the disciples, the seekers look at this and they don't have a clue. They don't have a clue. They're like, two and two do not get put together. The only beings that recognize who Jesus is in Mark's gospel are the spirits, the demons, the unseen beings. And they identify Jesus in their encounters with him through the use of his messianic titles. And in some sense, we have this today uh, in Acts. Remember our patron Luke wrote a gospel called the Gospel According to St. Luke, and he wrote a volume two called the Book of Acts. And the Book of Acts is about the transfer, we'll read about this next week, of the Holy Spirit of God in the person of Jesus Christ in the gospel to the Holy Spirit's presence in the community of faith we call the church, you and me. So we become both the fiduciaries, the stewards of the Spirit, and we become the beneficiaries of the Spirit. God coming in an inward way to enlighten and strengthen us. So today we have a slave girl who is being exploited by handlers because she has some psychic powers. And in this particular case, she is recognizing who Paul is. She recognizes the spirit. Before I say that, I always say this, some of you think, well, gee, I always... If you read it in the Greek, if you read it in the original text, it says, she was possessed with a Pythian spirit. You know, the snake, the python. The Pythian spirit was believed to reside in the Greek thought world at Delphi. The oracle at Delphi. 
This stuff is very important to understand the New Testament thought world. You know, Delphi is a place, you go into kind of a cave, and there's this sculpture, sculpture there with a big mouth. And so you've gone in and asked the question, and the voice comes through the opening, buy low and sell high. <laughs> or something like that. 25 years ago, there was a New Yorker cartoon of a holy man sitting uh, high up on a mountaintop in the Himalayas. And a guy in a Brooks Brothers suit had slogged all the way up there to this holy man. And the holy man says to him, if I knew what, where the Tao would end up at the end of this year, do you think I'd be sitting on this mountain? <laughs> so she recognizes Paul like... The spirits recognize Jesus. And Paul rebukes this spirit of divinization within her, and it comes out of her. And her handlers are furious because the cash flow has now been affected and probably for good. Right? Because also in the ancient world, that was a species of exorcism. The, the bad spirit had left her. So when we think about this, what is being described here is the difference between the authentic expression of the spirit and the inauthentic expression of the spirit. It's a story about how now, instead of Jesus, Paul has inherited through the Holy Spirit of God the ability to do these things. In a more affirmative sense, it will mean that the church's healing power now continues through those who are faithful. And that's what this is about. In the reading from the book of Revelation, we have now a, uh, the, the author of the uh, Apocalypse or the book of Revelation is speaking about the coming of the Spirit and to be ready for the coming of the Spirit and to remind the listenership or the readership of the fact that God is the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and I am the end. Now, this is an important sentence in the reading because it is not unique to the book of Revelation. first person who wrote about God being the Alpha and the Omega was Plato in the Laws. Four. If you get into, go to Wikipedia and you'll see that there are a number of laws that Plato talked about. There are dialogues that he has with various people about where we, how we begin to understand the nature of God and spirit and all of these different kinds of things. So there he describes God as the Alpha and the Omega. This means, of course, for the writer that in the thought world in which he was living in and in the circumstances of the church's movement and expansion and people who came from that thought world looking at Christianity in an affirmative and positive way began to see that this is consistent with how they have understood things for a long time, that God is present. And it also can mean, maybe this is too much of a contemporary stretch, but I believe in this, and that is that the Spirit of God is present not just within the Jews or within Christians, but in all the great faith traditions and in all of the wisdom tradition of humanity. 
And so it's our obligation to see how these connections might be made and to focus on the similarities and not the differences. And we'll get to that in a minute when we talk about John's gospel because he's speaking in there about unity and its importance and the plural way in which we understand the nature of God's unifying work in the world. So from Revelation... We get God as the beginning and the end, the sum and substance of how we understand the nature of reality. And this, of course, is what Plato talked about in the laws. So in John's Gospel in chapter 17 today, we, we hear a part of Jesus' great high priestly prayer. It's part of his farewell discourse to the disciples. It's there in some sense to... Uh, assist them with their separation anxiety because he has now told them that he's going to leave, that he's going to send a comforter. He said to us last week, uh, that is the Holy Spirit of God. So then he describes, it sounds somewhat convoluted. This, is, this stuff used to be very confusing to me when I first started to read the Bible as a student of the Bible, this I and you and you and me. It was very tough to understand. It was, I was always getting about 10% of it. But then when I realized what is taking place there is a description by the Savior of his absolute alignment with God's purposes. And by extension, all human beings can achieve that sense of alignment as they seek to be intentional about how to do that. And so the unity that we seek causes uh, a sense of serenity and clarity internally with regard to our emotional, spiritual, and mental states. And it also can produce this in relationship with other people. Because the transformation that takes place within us uh, has the ability to transform others as they see that and begin to understand that. <clears throat> a couple of months ago, in a sermon, I talked about another concept that is in Eastern Christianity, and it's called the uncreated light. And it is seeing in other human beings an enlightenment in their face and so on that is um, the source you, you can't, it has to be from God. And the best way that I can explain that to you is, is that all of us have seen people who have had transformative experiences in their life and they look different. They don't look the same. And sometimes even people say, gee, you look different. Not in a, a negative sense, but in an affirmative sense. And that means that in some sense we've become in touch with uh, our spiritual center, with our true self. Remember, the spiritual life is the whole of life. Body, soul, mind, spirit given to God in love. That's what Thomas Merton said in his diary, Thoughts in Solitude. So the spiritual life is life. And it isn't glib or disrespectful to say, when you wake up in the morning, ask yourself, what spirits are you in? You know, my grandmother used to say, you know, dearie, I'm not in very good spirits today. Or I'm in excellent spirits today. That is the spiritual life. That's the starting point for understanding this. It's life. So everybody who's seeking some exotic interpretation of what this might mean could miss the mark. 
and understand that the spiritual life is becoming the best human being that you can be. So Jesus today is speaking about this unity of spirit, both internal and external, understanding the spirit of God and our own spirit. This is also referred to, and this may be even more confusing, as mystical union. Mystical union doesn't mean some sort of twilight zone thing. It is understood to mean the opening of two realities, one into the other, such that I have the same unmediated understanding of the other as I do of myself. So when you speak about mystical union, it isn't on a mountaintop in the Himalayas where this can be achieved only. It is as we become centered in God, that's what we understand. First of all, we were who we were. Then we realized there was God, the other. And then as we matured in the spirit, we understood it was one thing. Two realities opening, one into another, such that I have the same unmediated understanding of the other as I do of myself. That is what mystical union is when you hear somebody describe that. So Jesus is speaking today about mystical union with God and that for him and for the Father it has been achieved. It is a reality. And what the Johannine community who read this gospel understood was this. If God were walking around on the earth, this is who he would be like. In his words and in his works, we have seen words and works indistinguishable from the words and works of God. And more to the point, it is not merely just watching it. He gave us through his word and through the tradition of the church and in our reason and experience, tools that we can use, ways of understanding how this works. And it is a commercial message for living a life of intention. And so in John's gospel today, we know that we are not going to be left comfortless. We understood that there was a moment in the Savior's life where he felt abandoned by the Father and began to see that the necessity of dying to self in that particular circumstance created now the mystical union and bond that can be transferred to all of the creation that God made and called good. So this week, give thanks for the coming of the Holy Spirit of God. Know that... Uh, Understanding some form of unity with God is not beyond any of us. And in fact, we have all in one form or another felt it, even if for a split second. Some of you who may have seen Joseph Campbell many years ago on PBS, where he said, when I was on the track team at Columbia University and I was participating in a track meet, I had a moment where I was at, felt absolutely one with the universe. I knew who I was, why I was here, and what I was going to do. And people can have that clarity of purpose, and what produces it is the Holy Spirit of God. So give thanks for that gift, God coming from within to enlighten and strengthen you. Amen.